by the time we get to a little kiss, I think we're at the last Bobby. I mean, some of it was just, you know, the time frame between when we would shoot and how much time was supposed to go. You know, some of it was the kids weren't available. Some of it was the kids had maybe grown up too much. You know, there were different reasons why it switched to different people. Yeah. But you, yeah. you could have a career in politics right there. That was very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was, yes. And yeah. some of them maybe were not as strong as others, but, uh, but there were many reasons why they switched. term coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. You're never going to get that corner office until you start treating Don as an equal. And no one will tell you this, but you can't be a man. Don't even try. Welcome to They Coined It. I'm Roberta Lip. I'm Dan Jasper. And we cover Mad Men episode by episode. Director by director. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is awesome. Well, awesome with a caveat. So <laughs> here's what's going on, guys. Uh, so this is our interview with Jennifer Getzinger. And you're going to love it. She's wonderful. We love it. We love her. She's the best. And uh, this was our take two. This was our, okay, let's try some with the lens cap off now <laughs> so uh, there was an issue it was my fault whatever but you're gonna miss the part where we were like jennifer hi it's so great to be with you welcome da, da, da. and she was like it's so great to be with you and you're gonna hear some of us going all right can we say this again you're just hear a little you might hear a little of that it's a mere trifle we'll roll with it it's yeah. great i'm just letting you know you missed the part where we're actually <laughs> totally you know saying hello to her and it's a little it like it sounds like it comes in in the middle so a mere that's trifle. why it's all good anything else nothing we 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 give to you jennifer getzinger so we talked a good deal in the first part of the a little kiss episode um about the opening scene and where sally sees megan and don in the bedroom and based on how much has changed for sally over the past couple of years going to do analysis and all the all the tumult in her life um, and how she interprets everything. Can you talk a little bit about that aspect and the sequence of it and what the viewers should sort of take from it based on all that we know about Sally at this point? And then my question on the same in the same kind of beat, it felt sloppy, either sloppy of Don to allow Sally to see Megan's butt when this is a guy experienced enough to know you you do a quick look around before and cover yourself and cover anything, cover your tracks and cover the butt before going to the door. It felt, you know, what, what was behind that? No pun intended. <laughs> um, well, um, yeah, I do think there's a few things going on there. I mean, I think that Sally, you know, it's that slightly dreamy quality, that nostalgic memory of childhood of waking up and wandering through a strange space. And, you know, you go in and I think it's a bit of a classic moment of that a, a child walking in on something sexual happening with their parents or with a, a parent and a, another partner or something. Yeah. Um, so I think it was that, but I think that it was also showing how different Megan is from Betty, um, that Megan does sleep naked, that she wouldn't care. And I think as far as Don's part in that, I mean, it is that Don, the biggest thing in starting this season is that Don is so in love with Megan. It's like all he cares about. He's just like in a love bubble. 
you know, that I think that whatever, however Megan wants to do it is fine to start. <laughs> that's, that's where we're starting the season. That's fine. Um, yeah, so I think that that's a lot of like, this is the way we do things now, and we're much more loose with nudity and with, you know. <laughs> so as, as I said on the episode at the time when we talked about it, I said, say hi to new mommy. <laughs> yeah, so there's definitely some of that. But, you know, you, you bring up Don's, what does Bert say later in the season? You're on love leave or some something yeah, like that. Right. So so it's called out. So I I, I'll, I have a, a question about that because I think, in the, particularly in the part one uh, uh, piece of it, Don's kind of very, he has this possessive thing with Megan, that little that little harassment scene in his in his office i can make you go home right now i have that power to, to undo your shirt and all this all this stuff and i kind of read it as insecurity and possessiveness uh, and, and and a certain kind of dominance but also really a lack of respect for megan like this is like she's like i gotta get to work you know and he's like no do this and she doesn't seem to appreciate she, she tolerates it but i don't think she appreciates it so is this something intentionally that was there or or something else? Well, I think that's playing a little bit into what their relationship is, right? Because then that's the first bit you see of that. And then you get to later when she's cleaning the carpet. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you see that this is a bit of the game they play, you know, of him being the domineering one and her, you know, fighting back, but then ultimately submitting to him. And I think it's, I think it's interesting because it, it's at first you see it. I think the first time you see it, it does seem disrespectful. And then the second time you see had that she's game for it, you know, that she's part of this game. Right. right um, which right. I think is interesting. Um, Megan's a lot younger than Don. And I think that he, you know, loves that about her and loves everything that's like new and fresh about her and, you know, kind of does treat her, talk down to her a little bit at times, but obviously we see her standing up to him then as well. Right. Um, and then, you know, going forward in the season, you sort of see, and, and in uh, the next season as well, you sort of see where things go with Megan and you see that she's not really like as weak sort of as she may be. Right. Now. Even in these episodes, you see the the first that first scene in the office and and you have your opinions about it and then the, the again part 1 ending with what felt like their first big fight mm -hmm. part of what you learn in part 2 is oh no no and and i think that the most powerful line about that is don to peggy and i don't think exact quote but you you don't know her at all right and yeah. all of a sudden you're like whatever the fuck these two are into <laughs> this is a marriage right this right. isn't this isn't more equal partners in a way i mean more than you know he was with betty i mean you know and even with betty i mean he always called her birdie and you know these things that were very sweet but kind of talking down to her a little bit treating her like a little girl at times you know what he very much treated betty like a yeah. little you know so part of that is don and his you know old-fashioned views but i think with megan it kind of is okay in the beginning and you see but then then you, yeah i think it's revealing that they have a much more complicated relationship so should we see most of their interplay across the two episodes the 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 whole party the 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 zuby zoo number is that all about the role play is it is it all feeding into that uh, you know unawares to us the viewer till the end but is is that all part of it too? Because I, I go back and forth thinking whether 
the the cleanup scene at the end is like is like I don't know. It, Don seems to be not playing a role, and she is. But then Don just could be playing it really well, and I don't recognize her. Yeah, I mean, I think that Don doesn't always know the rules of the game. You know, I think <laughs> that uh, I think it's Megan's game. You know, I think that it's her. You know, she's a bit more in charge of it. That that's what I think you start you, you come to realize. I see. Um, you know that she's driving it more. I mean, certainly with the Zuby Zoo. I mean, that was interesting because it was originally kind of conceived that Don was very miserable while it was happening mm. and that he was really like just wanted like the note was like he just wants to disappear, you know, um, and that, you know, and then as we were doing it and, you know, rehearsing with Jessica and doing like, you know, the choreography of what she was doing and everything, we brought in a great choreographer for that and and did several rehearsals. And then it seemed like, well, it's impossible not to enjoy this to some degree, you know? I mean, it's so amazing. Like how could you not get sucked up into it? So, right. you know, I thought that, um, I thought John did an amazing job there in in sort of towing that line, you know? Of yeah, absolutely. Let himself get sucked in, but then you could kind of see him being aware of all the people around him and, and, we, and all of us knowing Don Draper know that he would hate this. Right, which he reverts back to after it's over. Yes, and then afterwards you realize how mad he was. But I think in the moment, I, I think it was great that he was able to, you know. He wasn't going to embarrass her, right. Right, exactly. But also, you're right. Like, how do you, how do you not? I mean, that is, that is the fantasy of who he wants. Right. Right? right. That's the fantasy. That's the best version of, it's the performing outward version of the cleaning up the rug in your skivvies. It's right. just as much a fantasy. Only not in public. Can we please go back to some opening questions? Sure. So you basically came up through Mad Men. You had all this script supervisor experience, and that's how you entered Mad Men. Can you talk a little about your, your journey? Yes. Um, yeah. So I was working as a script supervisor, um, and I also was, was an aspiring director, and I had just finished, actually, the AFI Directing Workshop for Women. I made a short film through that, and it just coincided with when the pilot of Mad Men was being shot in New York, um, and I had worked with Alan Taylor, the director of the pilot, previously, and I knew Matt Weiner a little bit. So they hired me on to do the pilot, and it was just really something special and remarkable. And, and, you know, we were all very, very excited about it. And for me, it was just a perfect time because I was at this point where I was really ready to take a step towards directing. And, you know, so I was talking to Matt about it really from the beginning, we were talking about the possibility of me doing an episode. So it was, it was great. And so then season two, I, I was when I did my first episode. I took a risk on one of them, two for 22 cents. Nice. Of course, we're really locked into the five cents off, but good thinking. For the season five opener, um, it was the first time that we were ever doing a two-part season premiere, um, which was really exciting. We were always looking at it as one big story, as just one giant episode. I mean, obviously, I was given two different scripts, but I just, as far as character arcs, as far as what was actually happening, you know, in the story, I just sort of saw it all as one piece. Eventually, we did think more and more about, oh, it's going to be split into two eventually. So, um, you know, Matt Weiner's moved some scenes around to make it a little more complete as uh, a first part and a second part. Um, I think we were talking about the 
um, Lane storyline, you know, and that his whole thing with finding the wallet and all of that ended up getting put all into the second episode, which um, I think does work really well. But it's but it's all very much informed by what happens to Lane in the first episode, you know, even seeing that we see that he has some money troubles, that we see some things going on with him. I also noticed him drinking more, which I had never noticed before. I noticed that in the first episode, there was a different energy about him saying, let's get a drink that I had never seen before, which felt a little like a red flag. Right. Yeah. He's not in a good place. He's not. For sure. With it split into, I noticed two different kinds of season opener is what it turned into. One, which was just like, here's where you are. Part part one felt like, here's where we are. Here's what you missed. Here's the world you're walking into. You, the viewer. Mm-hmm. Part two felt more like, um, here's what's coming. It felt like more theme-y, more seeds. I heard some lines that are the kind of lines I hear that I'm like, oh, that's that's going to come back at us. Mm-hmm. And Roger, Roger said something. Uh, it was a ton of money in it. Oh my God, all the lane and the transactions and the Roger. And it was so much about money and transactions, but also Roger had a line about all the girls are great until they want something. And then Megan echoes that later and it feels different. And I'm like, that's a thing to watch for all season. Mm -hmm. Well, it's also, I mean, both, you know, the whole piece is very much about the old versus new, right? I mean, everybody, that's what sort of everyone is going through, like with Pete Campbell and Roger. Same thing with, uh, you know, Megan and um, being the new wife. Like, there's just a lot of that is like, and so, so if they're new, then that means Don and Roger and all of them are like the old guard, you know, the people we've been with. And, and there's a lot of that in this episode. Yeah, and across you see both episodes, how uncomfortable they are with that, you know, and and what that is to be sort of pushed to the side. And you see all that happening with the protests in the beginning. You know, you right. see, this is you know this is like 1966, I think, and so it's like change is coming, and it really is. I mean. The first season of Mad Men being 1960, the thing that Matt Weiner always talked about was that we think of it as 1960. They were really still living in the 50s. You know what I mean? It doesn't like suddenly become different when it In changed. the moment, yeah. yeah. Yeah, in the moment. You know, we, we, looking back, can see the changes. So in 1960, it's like that's why there were so many things that feel so old. In the, but now by 66, it's yeah. like... All that 1950s stuff is really getting pushed aside and and big changes are coming. And that's kind of the magic of the arc of the show, because it's the same characters, Mm -hmm. but in such different circumstances and times that the way they act in seasons four, five, six, seven, as we go, seems completely impossible, you know, when we go back to season one. And yet, totally consistent. These are the same people, you know, who feel the same way, but so much has changed, not personally and, and, and on the macro that, that it's both consistent and totally different. And that's wonderful to, to kind of wade into that because it's amazing. So, so we just had a chat with Mark Harris, the film historian, and he has a biography about Mike Nichols and, and that Mike Nichols was part of the influence on Matt's ultimate decision to marry Don off so quickly. Um, at least part of that. But but the the thing he said that really stuck with me is every other TV show, like we all have sort of a pact with TV shows that like the group you start with is the group you end with. 
And his marrying Megan really sealed the deal for all of us way more than than the marriage than the marriage to Henry did of like, right. oh, this is really done. And we're really moving forward into something. Mm-hmm. And, and I just connected that with what you said that goes with the the changing times. Like they really are a changing, right? Right. Exactly. I mean, that was the thing is the show was always moving forward in the way that life does. And, you know, and and in showing that you yeah, you could never go back. There wasn't this like, oh, we're going to rekindle this or, you know, that that mm. almost never happened. Um, and in the same way that people could get fired and they would really get fired and go away and you wouldn't see them again. And, you know, the, all those kinds of things. I mean, it was very um, trying to be true to life in that sense. Yeah. And this, this episode in particular, and really the whole season feels like the younger characters pulling the older characters into this new this new environment it's i mean and, and the party is like a perfect representation of that it's i'm i'm going to drag you into you don't want a, a surprise party here's a surprise party you don't want to celebrate your birthday we're having all your friends like this is literally pulling you kicking and screaming to some degree we're uh, queer it, black it, band leader yeah in the there you go. I, I was gonna say and look at megan's group of friends who were there and the band she had and yeah. you know and i love how you see harry trying to like play both sides, you know, he, he flies down a cane, you know, but then he goes and hangs out with Megan and her friends, you know, it's like, he's, he's like the middleman, you know, and then the real he, chameleon that one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. For sure. Um, okay. So one of my all time favorite episodes of the entire series is the new girl. Oh, wow. And we had Melinda McGraw on this show to talk about that episode in particular. And she was obviously wonderful and, and it's just one of our favorites. So she talked in that in that discussion a lot about Don's inability to feel anything. He has that line in the car, I don't feel anything at all. Right. And she's sort of like, that that was it for me. That was it for the character. That was it for this episode. He's dying to feel anything while he's obviously numbing himself. So, and that's what spurs a lot of his behavior. So, so was this something that was discussed openly? Rega- you know, was it re- regarding the script or the production on this episode that you recall? Because Melinda was like keyed in on it and it sort of heightened it for us as well. Yeah, that was definitely something we were talking about. Um, that yeah, Don. Um, you know, it's funny with John Hamm because he wouldn't discuss a lot of things. You know, he he was very. Um, internal with how he was processing things um with the script and everything and he um I always said like John was so amazing because you could just say like one word or like one sentence or one word of something and he'd go uh-huh and walk away and then he'd suddenly do something like you know I mean and it, and it was always like what he was doing was so great but you were like but maybe there's this other element to it or something you know just mm. some other thought you wanted to throw in there or play with and he just was always he didn't need to have a big discussion about it he just wanted to you know hear okay. one little idea and I'll go with it but so something like that where it's done just wanting to feel something and just wanting to be a part of something and just feeling so, you know, I think it's like he was numbing himself, but he was like numb anyway. You know, he just, that's where he was. It was interesting because the thing I remember when we were talking about that and my fear was, well, to show someone not feeling anything it was not very traumatic. You know? Fireworks go off, right? Right. And then, well, okay. But, 
you know, that's where John puts all this internal stuff into it, that it's not just not feeling anything. It's really painful to not feel anything. There's a heaviness and a weight to that, that John gave it, that I think you actually feel a lot coming from him in that state he's in, you know? For real. Oh, that's amazing. That's so true. You know, one of the things that the show just is, again, just amazing at is, is, you know, it'll bring in a character like, like Robbie Barrett. And it's all about her and Don and this relationship and this affair. And all the people that kind of are primarily interacting with, I guess, her and Jimmy, right, around the office. The, the thing with Peggy happens completely out of the blue, right? They've been on this show now for like, whatever, four weeks, five weeks. And they're doing their thing. And then, bang, just at the last minute, she crosses paths with Peggy through this totally, you know, out of the blue incident of the car accident. So, again, was that something that had, I'd love to know how that developed. Was it always there? Was it always intended from the moment Bobby Barrett was conceived as a character that, okay, this is going to be her moment with Peggy and, and, and let's get her there? Or did it sort of evolve once she was already on, on the scene? You know, I'm really not sure because I'm not that privy to what they're doing in the writer's room, but I believe it was always planned to be that way. I mean, I think that Bobby served Don's character, but but did very much serve Peggy's character and was, was always someone who was important for her to meet and to see this other way of being a woman, very different from any woman she knew in her life. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that ended up being very influential on Peggy in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, those scenes in the apartment were were really, really interesting and really special and really like like a, a sort of a exploration of what it is to be a woman of and what it is to be a feminist and what it is, you know, what's strength and all these things in such an interesting way um, with both of these actors who, you know, were so willing to just play and explore and do all kinds of they were amazing and and melinda didn't see it this way but i still when i watch it i still can't get out of my head it feels like a boxing match it feels like they're throwing haymakers at each other Mm -hmm. and like you know shot for shot you know you you using one at me i zing one at you Mm -hmm. who's going to go in for the kill and of course it's bobby at the very end just kind of levels peggy but in a most in the most you know kind of intimate and really positive way. Ment- like a mentoring way. Like a mentor, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like she always saw herself as taking this sort of lost soul under a wing a little bit. You know what I mean? I, I think it's it's the way, you know, it was a little bit of tough love. You know, it, it's Bobby Barrett doing tough love with yeah. <laughs> Peggy. But yeah, it was just really, you know, that was the first episode I directed. And it was, um, yeah, it was, really, it was just really... Fantastic and interesting to be able to do one that had all these just explorations of women and stuff that was that was really great. It, and it was funny, too, because it was written by Robin Veith and it was her first episode that she wrote by herself and my first episode. And that's part of the reason he called it The New Girl is because oh, 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 I have <laughs> no idea. Oh, that's, that's just so awesome. That's all the feels. <laughs> yeah, it was really it was really nice. And I actually just finished working with Robin Veith. I know. Show, which was really exciting. I just went and directed an episode of her uh, new show that she has. When is that dropping? Do you know? I'm not sure. It's on Hulu. I know it's going to be fairly soon. It's a limited series. It's just five episodes and it's called Candy and it should air 
or, or drop, I guess is how we say it now. Yeah. Um, just, <laughs> well, Hulu does both, right? Hulu sometimes does. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure how they're, I'm not sure how it's rolling out, but it's uh, sometime, sometime in the beginning of this year. It sh- it'll be soon. It won't be, it won't be too long. Can't wait. I also, I want to ask you what, and this is a perfect place to ask it. How do you relate to yourself as a director, as a woman, as a feminist? Are you there to say something? Are you, does that inform you consciously? It obviously informs you not consciously because it's who you are, right? But I mean, I just put in your mouth that you're a feminist. I hope that's okay. Yes, totally okay. Um, But yeah, where, where do you think that, you know, do you have a purpose? Like, do you look at it that way at all? Yeah, I do a little bit. And I think some of that is coming from Mad Men. There weren't a ton of women directors on that show. Um, obviously, Leslie Gladder, you know, did a lot of episodes and, and did some amazing work on that show. You were the second after her. You were yeah. the second. And Leslie and I are good friends. And, and she was very much of a mentor to me um, from even before Mad Men. And, uh, you know, we would talk about it. And I think it's she informed me a lot in like just be who you are and just let it come from who you are as far as what you feel you can give to these characters and so and so a lot of that is being a woman and being a feminist you know and I think something like starting with the episode the new girl I mean I think there's a reason that Matt gave me that episode and and I was happy to do it I mean I was thrilled to have something you know that was exploring all of those themes you know, and I also know I did quite a few episodes that featured Joan and had some important moments for Christina. And I really love working with her. And she's a very emotional actress. She's very, like, emotionally available and very, like, just very much in the moment and really, you know, and I think that... A little kiss among them, by the way. Some of Christina's work in, in those two pieces yeah. are phenomenal. They get kind of you know, they're a little bit in the shadow of some of the major plot stuff, but right. her work with Lane and, and the stuff with her mom is just phenomenal. Yeah, no, it's terrific. And, and you know, I feel like we really had a nice bond on the show in general and that I, you know, I feel like I could always talk to her in a way where I was being very sensitive as a woman to what she'd be going through and this mixed feeling she's having about children and, and work. And, you know, it's something we all have dealt with, whether we end up having children or not having children. I think everybody goes through that time of thinking about it and weighing it and wondering. And so for Joan to be going through that, yeah, it was really interesting. And, and you know, not to say that a man couldn't have directed that stuff for her, but I think that it just adds another layer or just gives us another way to talk about it when it's something that we both personally understand. Mm. I loved her performance. Um, so I'd like to to bring up uh, and move on to Mild Kentucky Hall. Like we said, this is Rivers Row. You went from that little apartment to that stage, right? <laughs> Multiple stages. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously one of the key scenes is that old fashioned scene, right? With the bar in the, at the Good Tree Club. And it introduces us to, we don't know it yet, but introduces us to Connie Hilton. Mm-hmm. I believe John that, that Connie genuinely likes Don when he meets him there. But that, that relationship evolves as we know. Do you think Connie genuinely liked Don? And, and if, if so, does he also, and perhaps at the same time, see him as a little bit of a, a mark for, for you know, the way he ultimately handles the relationship? I definitely think he likes Don. I think he's very charmed by Don. I think he's very taken in by him. I don't know that he sees him as a mark right from the start. 
I, I, I don't know that I was ever thinking of it that way, but I, I do feel like he was taken. I think he's very genuine in the beginning. Um, I think that, you know, he's one of those very rich, powerful people who enjoys almost being anonymous and being, you know, being able to be this person. Who's that's, just, that, 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 that shined through in that scene, yeah. how much he, he loved just, just being a guy there. Right. The more I think back to Connie in that season, the more I think he really did treat Don like a son. He just was a sure. shitty father. <laughs> no. Yeah. Like that. I think they I think the relationship started very genuinely. I do. Yeah. yeah. Where are you from? San Antonio, New Mexico. Before it was a state. Don't ask me that. Old. You look fit. Hmm. You ever see A Midsummer Dream with Mickey Rooney? Midsummer Night's Dream? By golly, you're prickly. I'm Republican like everyone else in there. But somehow, no matter how expensive my cufflinks, I feel like I've got the head of a jackass. Betty meeting Henry, Henry meeting Betty, that flirtation over her belly and that, I mean... What uh, just just give us a reflection? <laughs> uh, I, Non-creepy guy doing creepy things, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was. Uh, I remember it being very, very late at night, and uh, we lit it to look like it was the middle of the day, <laughs> and it was very late. Um, and I remember, yeah, I remember that that was really the whole challenge of it was how is what he's doing charming, you know? Um, and I think Chris Stanley really pulled it off, you know? I mean, I think that is who Chris is in a lot of ways, and he's just a very easygoing, charming guy, you know? And and we uh, we saw a lot of people for that role, and it was really, um, it was tricky because we knew we were casting for someone who she would eventually end up with. So um, it was a tricky one, but I, I think I think Chris pulled it off, you know? I mean, we always felt like, if it's slightly creepy, it's okay. But, you know, but if it goes beyond a certain <laughs> level, then it's like, oh my gosh, she's a rapist getaway. I think he definitely pulled it off because we're now deep into the the marriage, you know, b- b- between the two characters. And, and I'm always team Henry just because he's, yeah, he's drawn so, <laughs> so much decency and he's a good guy and he's great with the kids and he really yeah, loves Betty. And, Ron was. I mean, totally. like, was, yeah. right. He's, he's, a, yeah. he's a stand-up guy. But then Roberto will usually say, yeah, but he touched a pregnant woman's belly that he wasn't married to. No, it like, yeah, you know, everyone has their moments. We, we can, it can be both. It, it isn't even that. To me, it was what I what I really got on this this viewing was like he blatantly was it was hitting on a, a very married woman with no apology and no pretense that that's not what he was doing. That was to me what was what was br- more brazen and bordering on creepy. But I'll say it's not like Betty doesn't have a, a love for some creep. I mean, she married a fur salesman, you know? <laughs> right, right. And compared to that, he feels safer than than Don feels because he's at least got an open quality. It takes a special guy to pull that off. And, yes. and Chris Stanley's that guy. <laughs> Dan is definitely team Henry, like I every just, step yeah, of the way. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, we talk a lot about Kiernan Shipka and her acting in general. And the scenes with Ray Catrona, who, who plays her grandfather, Gene. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a number of them across several episodes, but this, My Old Kentucky Home, contains uh, a, a lot of them. Um, 
Was there that connection off screen? Like, were these two really connected as they appear to be on screen? And 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 what kind of instruction or directions were they given about their characters' relationship? I don't remember them being particularly connected off screen, but I do. I mean, Ray. It just has this very warm quality about him, you know, just as a person. And so he was very much, you know, he he was very comfortable with bringing her in and being that grandfather type. For Kiernan, it was just that he gave her a lot of things that she always wanted from Don and couldn't get from him. You know what I mean? It's like gave her this security and this warmth that she never got from her father, you know, and that was really unique in, in her life. But Kiernan, I mean, when she was a kid, she was interesting because, you know, I mean, obviously with kids, there's only so much you can talk to them about as far as character. And then you kind of just everything is in the moment, which is also what's great and charming about them. Um, so she just was always, you know, was very much in the moment. You could talk in general about like, you love this man. He's, you know, your favorite person. You really, you know, want to be close to him as much as you can. It's interesting how she would test him a little bit. You know, they had a they had a complicated relationship, but I think I think some of Kiernan's just innocence herself as a person, because she seemed like a, I mean, she was a very just happy, easygoing kid, you know, on set. Like she wasn't someone who would, oh, Kiernan's in this mood or that mood at all. You know, she was very easygoing. And she had this lisp that drove some people crazy, but that Matt Weiner loved and was like, I never lose that lisp. What went to shit? But uh, she still had it in, in old Kentucky home. And it was great. It was, it was, yeah, she's just, she was very purely who she was, I think. Obviously, one of the, one of the most memorable episodes you directed was The Suitcase, uh, which is like an all-time fan favorite. I mean, when we were... When we hit season four, even before, we were getting comments and messages from listeners to the show about, you know, can I be on the suitcase with you? Can I want to talk about that? that? That's the one I'm waiting for. I can't hear, wait, wait to hear what you say about the suitcase. We actually, we had them send in their comments mm -hmm. audio and we did a, a medley of their reaction, the fan reactions. Hey, to I'll have to listen to that one. I haven't said what people say about the suitcase. I love to hear it. We did a two-parter. I will, because we really, first of all, I wanted to go in sequence. It's one of the episodes. We don't usually do every scene or go in sequence of the show because it's just, it's just too hard and we don't think it's interesting. But with the suitcase, it's so sequential. I was full on struck that it was a play. Mm -hmm. I mean, people talk about the new girl and those apartment sequence like that. Feels mm -hmm. like a play and I think it was shot maybe in one day or definitely in sequence. Yeah, it was, yeah. But this really, I, I mean, I noticed it because I, I just saw it in the, anytime anybody had left the action, it was by phone, you know, that, that you, you really could have done this on stage. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to say that was, I remember when I came in to do the episode, you know, you really would get handed the script. Like when you walked in day one, you know, it was like, okay, I'm here to prep and you'd be handed a script. And uh, I remember Matt saying, okay, so this one's a two-person play. Okay. Wow. I was like, that's interesting. And it was not It was uh, not a fully developed script. I also remember there was a lot of writing, which was not, off, not often the case on Mad Men. Mm. That one I feel like was Matt was writing it on his own. 
he just really had to take his time to find all of those scenes and all. I, he knew what the story was. I think he just had to, there was a bit of rewriting and stuff. I mean, it was always done before we started shooting. It was more like, well, there's going to be a scene here and there's going to be a scene here and there's, you know, and then he kind of would go off in his world and uh, create what that, you know, what those scenes are. But wow. did you, did you know how special this was going to be? I mean, Matt, it's with Mad Men episodes, there's like, there's some standouts, but it's tough because they're mostly all fantastic. But did you know? You know, I didn't at first. I remember when I first read it, like I said, I sort of read it in this choppy way because I kind of got it where it was like a script slash outline. It yeah. wasn't really a fully fledged script. And um, I thought it was really interesting that it was a two person play with Peggy and Dawn, of course. I was like, that's amazing. And the other thing is it was conceived, it was like the bottle show, which I don't know if you've heard that term, but basically that's a show that productions do to save money when they're like, we can't have a bunch of, you know, <laughs> and have huge party scenes. We literally need to do a bottle show to be able to afford all the other shows. We need the office, the diner, a bar, and then the office again. Right. Yeah. So it's either an episode <laughs> where funny. three Three different scenes are trapped in elevators or. Right, exactly. <laughs> the elevator or like in Breaking Bad, they had the, the the one where they're going after the fly in the lab. That was like their bottle episode, which is actually a great episode. But yeah, this was the bottle episode. And it's it's such a great lesson because often those episodes end up being really great. You know, <laughs> if, they, you know if they're done right. And this one I think was, and it was, so we knew it was very contained and we knew it was very, um, it was very interior for both of them, too. You know, it's just a lot of, of what's going on inside of them and then how those, you know, what's happening with each of them kind of meshes and, you know, how they crash into each other throughout the the evening. You know, as we were doing it, it became more and more apparent that it was something really special. But I didn't, you know, I didn't know that it would become like the fan favorite of the whole series but you know but i i definitely knew it was something plus the performances must must have also been a been a clue you can't see that on the page yeah. especially when it's not a complete script but then you cameras roll and these two actors are just hitting it out of the park well exactly i mean that was it more so than usual yeah yeah i think i you know and i think i remember you know even then when i did get the full script i remember reading a line you know, like, uh, you should be thanking me along with Jesus, you know? And I, I, remember, like, <laughs> I remember I talked about this at a um, DGA interview and everyone was like, oh, but that line's so brilliant. I'm like, yeah, it is brilliant. But the first time you read it on the page, you know, you're kind of going, really? But it's brilliant. I mean. He sells it. He um, sells it perfect. He sells it. it and, and that's, you know, and Matt knew he would. And, you know, so it's like really works. But it was uh yeah, it's also done, and I'm sure it was. It's the writing and the performance. You can't really separate the two. But that character across all seven seasons, god damn it! Like the religious, the religious references mm. would just come out at the oddest times, right? And that sort of like makes sense in reverse, but in the moment, it's surprising. And so, to me, that was one of that was one of those like, Jesus, who would who would say that? Right, but he did, and it works, and it shouldn't. And wow, that's amazing. A lot of times, it's when he's being manipulative. It's his way. It's like that, which I yeah. think comes. I mean, obviously, it all comes straight from his childhood. But it, it's like I'm going to get you with this. That's right. And that's really a, an arm coming right out of his past. 
I also just, I, I think part of why it's so beloved is just the fan service of finally getting these two together for an hour and right. finally getting them to where we get them, which is something we've wanted to see a since the pilot and certainly B since the new girl. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think a lot's been the, building. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's just, we want, it's so, it's such a relief to get yeah. the other side of those fights. So I'm curious. So for a show that does not intersect very much with sports, the, the use of the famous fight mm-hmm. is the, is the launching pad here. And it's just so brilliant as a conceit, both the timing and the show and whether or not, you know, mapping out the season, it was like, all right, in May, we're going to have to hit this, hit this mark with, with, with the fight. I'm interested in how that element was developed to the extent you were, you were privy to that. And also how familiar were you with the Ali Liston, the second Ali Liston fight that it's taken off of? Um, well, I wasn't familiar with it, but I, you know, I, I became familiar with it um, and found out about it. And uh, it's funny that you say that because it's reminding me that originally the episode was called The Fight. Oh. That was the original title of it. Um, and then I think that Matt just felt like it was too much about that and it needed to be more about something like bigger the transformation like the catharsis you know it needed to be more about that which is where it became the suit it feels a little on the nose yeah exactly you know a decade later now easy for me to say but yeah i mean the fight does sound a little on the nose yeah yeah, yeah. but it, it felt but it, it was but it felt like so right in a way at first but then i think the, obviously i think the change was great and i, I right. you know but um yeah and it um I didn't know that much about it, but I think it was, um, you know, I loved when we did that. I mean, I think that that's what always connects the show to the culture and to the time period is when we do those kinds of things. You know, I think it um, just in everything about how they would go about getting tickets and who can get tickets and can't and what's going on and who's, you know what I mean, rooting for who. And it's it's for very, sure. um, I always love that stuff. I think it it makes it the world feel bigger you know you don't feel you're just in this you're just in you know right and in season three we had we had things other historical moments like obviously jfk's assassination where it's looming over the whole season right the whole thing is about you know what's he going to do how are we going to do it and and it's it's there for whether we knew it was going to happen or not whereas this is completely out of the blue there's absolutely nothing to to say this had to be right you know so great um, and we talk a lot in that double episode that Roberta referred to about that final, it's not, maybe not quite the final scene, almost the final scene where Don does the, that ad the next morning based on the picture in the paper with the suitcase and the knockout and everything after that all-nighter. And, and my take was that Don is still kind of pulling rank on her because she brings up those issues of how are we going to shoot it? How are you going to know? And he kind of says, "Why well, sh- don't shit on this. This is good. Mm-hmm. Which is like what he didn't let her do <laughs> the whole the whole time when he rejected the the ad that we know was a real ad, right? He rejected the 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 elephant or whatever the yeah. elephant stepping on the suitcase, right? Right? Yeah. Did you see that as a like he like he's kind of he's he's kind of pulling pulling the 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 boss card out by saying don't shit on this when it's like wait a minute you spent the entire previous day shitting on everything I do now we're now we're now we're buddies like what is this? I mean, I think them coming together 
in the end is not about them being equals. You know, I mean, they're never going to be equals. I mean, I think he's always going to be her boss and he's always going to be, you know, her mentor, her big brother, her, her, you know, all those things. And I think so it's never going to be, you know, I grew up with three brothers. I know that feeling of like you're you're never going to be equal. Your idea is never going to be as good as their idea. And that's just the way it is. But, you know, I think he does show her that how much he values her, but it doesn't mean she gets to, you know, he still gets to sort of say what it is. I think where we landed on it in our discussion was kind of like, there's our relationship personally and there's our relationship professionally. And personally, we might be more equal than we are professionally. But I kind of... I I even personally, I feel like there's still, I mean, I think it's still not, uh, they're not the same. You know what I mean? It's still that he's... Not quite peers. Exactly. No, the the having brothers thing makes perfect sense. I have a younger brother who treats me like he's my older brother. Right. You know, there's a kind of dominance that happens in those families. And that really does make sense to me that it is just a blended blur of we love each other now. We can now admit that we have something very special and kid, <laughs> watch it. Yeah, watch right. That. You know? Yeah. yeah. I have a... Uh, a more general question for you. I find this fascinating and you were, you've done, worked both ways. Coming in and doing a one-off script, like you said, you walk in even as a kind of a home team player, you walk in and you get the script the morning of. Do you have a preference for how you work, Look, like having a longer relationship with a show or not? And is there a substantial difference in that, in that quality of, I don't know, is there a substantial difference for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I really love being a part of a, of a show. And, you know, I mean, especially Mad Men, obviously, it was really amazing to always be able to go back every year um, and and sort of pick up where we left off because it was the same people. It was the same characters. It was the same, you know what I mean? You were like, oh, I know these people. You know, once you got the script in, it was like, I didn't have to think, why is that person saying that? And why, you know, and I, I just felt I was very emotionally invested in the show and in wanting it to be good and just in who these people are. You know, I mean, we, you know, some of the writers and I used to talk about what we would really want for these characters, for Peggy or for, you know, whatever. We'd be like, but that's never going to happen because that <laughs> never what happened. <laughs> um, you know, I, I always joke how I remember uh, Lisa Albert, who was like on the show, the whole run of the show, one of the writers and um, producers. I remember her just one time being like, Oh dear God! Why can't anyone just ever win? Can <laughs> <laughs> take it anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, it really I, does take seven seven seasons to get some gratification for some yeah, of them. That feels a exactly. little long term <laughs> for some I, of them. Right, finally at the end, <laughs> but you know, you'd see them getting somewhere, and then it was you know. But I mean, it's great because I mean, I think that's you know that's the struggle that's sort of. You know, again, it's what we all go through. It's like just when you win, something else kind of comes along. It's interesting. But um, yeah, but going in just doing like a one-off of an episode can be really hard. I think I find it difficult. Um, I, you know, a lot of shows now are hiring directors um, for two or even three episodes at a time as opposed to just one. Nice. Even before they were doing that, I would always ask for two. If I really liked the show, I'd say, well, I want to do two of them. Because I would say, like, the first one is, like, I'm learning your show. I'm learning your characters. I'm learning how to do the show. I'm learning what's working, what's not working. So then by the second episode, I feel like I'm kind of hitting my stride. If you only do one, 
it just doesn't feel, it's hard to emotionally invest and to be able to really get, you know, another level of what you're trying to do, whether it's, you know, emotionally or, or whatever. So, yeah, I always, I like doing more. And I like, um, you know, something like the show I just did, um, where I did just do one episode of the show Robin's doing, that's a limited series. There's only five episodes. So it's something where we I, I could really like read through the whole thing and talk to her about it. And, you know, I feel like I went into it understanding a lot more about the show and, and the people than, than I do sometimes when I, you know, just go in to do like a one-off on yeah. And you worked on season two of The Nevers. Was that one of your recent yes. projects? Yeah. So I only ever saw the pilot of that, but um, mm. I loved it. And were you on there? Did you direct it's a bunch? A crazy show. Of, I did two of them. It's actually all season one, season one A. And oh, that's right. Three, because we were, I was there when the pandemic hit. I had just gotten to London and was prepping for like two, week, two weeks. And then it was okay. Everyone's shutting down and going home. So then I finally went back like over a year later and did a couple of episodes. Um, it's a really great show. I, I'm not sure how well it's going to be received. It's a very complicated show. Um, a lot of sci-fi element of it to me gets very confusing. But I also know people who are big sci-fi fans who, who have really loved it. So we'll see. And new showrunner? Yes, a yeah. new showrunner. So that's very complicated as well. But I would think. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll, see. we'll see what happens with we'll that see. one. Here's, here's the wrap question. We could cover so much more. We, we can't cover it all with you. <laughs> Is there any either single memory that just like a story you want to tell or, or something you discovered through, through your experience that you just want to share? Oh, gosh. I mean, I can't really think of a singular incident you know, it just, I mean, I just feel that it was an amazing thing to be on a show through the whole run. I mean, as we're talking about sort of knowing the characters, but having been on the show from the pilot all the way to, you know, the last season is an amazing thing because as these characters are living and growing and changing, obviously all of us were as well, you know, behind the scenes. And that includes the actors themselves went through, we saw people go through marriages and divorces and, you know, from with crew and, and cast and everything to having babies and, and all of that, but also just emotionally people changing in different ways. And it was really interesting and I think a unique experience to work on something that's so sort of emotionally true and so emotionally deep, you know, um, I think you don't always get that on a television show and you're on it for the run and, and there's, you know, people always form these families. But then when the content is also sort of reflecting a lot about humanity and struggles people go through and all kinds of um, ups and downs and, and, and uh, for as much as I was sort of joking about that, it can tend to have a cynical look on things at times. I mean, I do also feel that there was always there are always glimmers of hope, you know. I think that there were always moments of like, yes, okay, everything may turn to shit, but still there's this other shiny object in the <laughs> in the distance that's going to keep you going. It was just very unique to work on something like that for such a long time. Well, look, I've said, you know, since since the finale that, you know, it's basically ruined television for me because of just how, just how, you know, the golden age and all that and all these great shows and there are there's some fantastic tv out there still being done but but there's just simply nothing like the the thorough quality of the mm -hmm. show that would even 
you know, that would even sustain a, a conversation like Roberta and I have been having and, and going through and all the different cool stuff we're learning and getting to talk to, to some amazing, amazing folks like yourself. You know, you couldn't do that with any show. It really takes the really special ones that have some amazing quality to it. And a big part of that was obviously the team that Matt had around him, including yourself. And this was an amazing experience to be able to talk with you. I know our, our listeners are going to absolutely devour this episode. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I think it's definitely a unique experience for me, too. Like I said, when I go into other shows, even when I'm a fan of the show or it's something that I do connect to, it's never... So far, it's never been the same as Mad Men. You know, I mean, it really is a unique experience. And part of that, too, is we would have, I'm sure you other people have probably talked about these tone meetings that we would have, which is when, like, a director meets with the showrunner and you go over. And, and a lot of times a producer, post-producer, editor, you know, a few other people are in the room and you're really going through the episode step by step and breaking it down. And I mean... We would talk about themes. Every show had a theme. Every show had a point of view. You know, every show, there would be music that Matt would play sometimes. Like, here's the music I'm thinking for this scene. Here, You know, stuff that you really, by the time you went to go do the episode, you felt so ready and full of, of just, you know, all this knowledge and all this sort of... Uh, guidance and and inspiration for what you wanted to accomplish so jennifer we have to ask you to come back and you're going to bring all your tone meeting notes <laughs> for every episode because that's it's now I mean, it, it's de it's definitely come up a couple times in our in our discussions but i'd never heard the the well, full definition of it like that and i'm like oh my god we need those it's because we've mostly spoken with actors and actors don't talk about theme because that's not what they focus yeah on. They, they focus they, on. They, they, that's not their job that's so true yeah right all right. Thank you again. You've been so generous with your time. Oh, and thank you for having me. This was fun. Really great. Thank you. Awesome. How about that? She's the best. <laughs> I will never watch The New Girl the same. Without right? thinking of I that love title, that. Right? Oh, I love that. To me, and I think for you as well, if I'll speak for you briefly, that's that's why we do this podcast, right? To hear shit like that from from the source whenever possible. And it just rewards all this kind of stuff to hear something that in a million years we never would have known. No, it's, it's so illuminating about so many things. And, you know, I wish we had 75 hours to talk to her, yeah, <laughs> you know, because yeah. you could spend three hours on any one hour, hour episode. But she's the best, and we're lucky to have her. And thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. Hope you liked it. Bye-bye. If you would like to support the show, as many of our listeners do, go to patreon.com slash theycoineditpod. You get many bonus episodes and other treats. Another way to support us is to leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. Email us at questions at theycoinedpod.com or on Twitter and Instagram, at TCI Madman Pod. They Coined It is produced and edited by Roberta Lip. Our logo and merch graphics are by Albert Stern of Stickrest Arts. Our theme is from Adam Tilford. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dan Jasper. See you next time.